And I talk to people about being really careful because there's also a shame cycle that comes with that. Like, oh, if I just adhere to the perfect, in air quotes, diet, size regimen, then maybe next month I will get pregnant. And then when they don't get pregnant, because nobody gets pregnant every month, then they're like, oh, I must have not been good enough. And then good, in air quotes. So I'm going to be even more restrictive, you know, the next cycle and start excluding other things from my diet. And so I talk about, you know, you can't restrict so much that you lose joy. And there's a great Chinese proverb that says like perfection is 80%. And I just like want people to remember that. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, this podcast is for general educational purposes. While Dr. Shaheen is a doctor, she's not your doctor, and we always suggest seeking appropriate treatment with licensed professionals accordingly. That said, Welcome, Dr. Shaheen, to the show. I'm so excited you're here. Oh, thank you so much, Stacey. I'm really excited to be here. So if you're not familiar with, can I call you Laura? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not familiar with Laura's work, you can find her on Instagram, where you pop up in my feed all the time, but you also are on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, and even TikTok, which is very impressive because (laughs) you are not a Gen Zer, and it is so much effort for me to try to get on TikTok and you do it so well. I love how you approach education with all of the work that you do. You also have a podcast, the Baby Our Bust podcast. So listeners, if you're enjoying listening to Dr. Laura today, please go seek that podcast out and also a book, Not Broken, an approachable guide to miscarriage and recurrent pregnancy loss. We're going to put all those links in the show notes for people. But I think that kind of gives an introduction to who you are, which is a reproductive endocrinologist. You're also a clinical assistant professor. You're on the Forbes Health Advisory Board. And I actually found you because you're part of Beauty Counter's Scientific Advisory Board. And I was at an event in DC and you were speaking on the panel. I'll put a link in the show notes for people. They can actually watch pieces of that. Um, And I really appreciated your down-to-earth approach of, you know, not fear-mongering, but also there is reality around so much of what's happening in our environments, what we're putting on and in our bodies that is affecting our health and fertility. And even if you're not trying to have a baby, I've already had my babies, but I still want my hormones to be functioning optimally for health. I think it's really an important perspective that you bring. So I'm excited to dive into all of this. And I also want to just kind of like give a little precursor warning at the top of the show that part of what I'm excited to talk to you about and we, and we discussed is really important in terms of addressing on the show is the idea of how women's reproductive rights are affecting the health of some, if not all women from the changes that are happening in this country. So whether or not your belief is 
you know, in favor of or not of the changes that are happening, I'm hopeful that you can listen to Dr. Laura share her experience and science-based approach to understanding the truth of how these changes really are affecting the people in your practice and beyond. So welcome, Laura. Can you tell us a little more about yourself, what I didn't cover? Oh, thank you, Stacey. That was a wonderful introduction. Yes. So a reproductive endocrinologist, I'm a fertility specialist. What that means is after medical school, I did a four-year residency training in obstetrics and gynecology. And then after that, I really wanted to focus on helping people build families. And I loved the field of reproductive endocrinology and infertility. So I did a three-year fellowship at Stanford for that. And finally, after you know, all these years of education and learning, you know, was really excited to move to Seattle and start working at Pacific Northwest Fertility. And I've always just been very passionate about educating. It, it is funny to hear you list all the things that I have done <laughs> to try to educate people, you know, podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, all that. But it's... um it doesn't feel like work for me. It feels like a creative outlet. And, you know, it comes from a place of trying to give people the information that honestly, I did not learn in middle school health class. I did not learn, you know, as a woman growing up and it was not really very well shared in medical school. Um, and I just love that we have access to all this information, but I think it's important for doctors to be out there on social media, because that's where people are going to get a lot of their medical questions answered. So if we're not there, believe me, somebody else is going to be giving advice there. Dr. Google, for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in my research, one of the things that I found, and you didn't mention, is that while you're a medical doctor with a major in biology, you also have a minor in theology. Is that correct? That's okay. right. But so, kind of by accident. <laughs> well, I don't think it's by accident at all because this really informed me about how you approach your practice. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me was that one of your pillars on your website is emotional health. So I'm wondering if you can share before we kind of dive in to more, knowing that you professionally are trained on the hormones that are affected by stress, like this, of all the things that I've been talking about lately, I think that this is really helpful for a doctor to kind of like dive into a little bit more. If you can share how you came to understand what you say, which is your emotional wellness is everything. Oh, absolutely. I just believe that everything is connected. You know, one of the most common questions my patients ask is stress causing my infertility is my anxiety causing my miscarriages. And nobody can say for sure. I mean, people have babies in the middle of war and famine and incredible physical, emotional, mental stress. But how can it not be interconnected and talking to patients not only about the medical treatment that's available for family building, the science behind it, all these techniques that we have. But if you don't pay attention to mental health, then it's just not going to be the full picture and you're not going to be helping people to the level that you need to. And the number one reason, Dr. Ali Domar um, has done incredible research on stress and fertility, the number one reason that people stop fertility treatment or stop trying to conceive is mental health. 
not, and this is mm. found in places, you know, like Massachusetts, where they have incredible universal coverage for fertility treatment. It's not financial burden. It's not believing that it's not going to be successful. It is truly just being so down and so anxious and not finding mental health support that makes people stop. That makes a lot of sense. And the people that I know in my life who have, I think all of us, right? Like the statistics are extremely high on miscarriage and fertility support needed. And I think just like there's, you know, this assumption of, well, it's natural. My body should be able to do it. Kind of like breastfeeding. The fact is most people don't have that experience and don't talk about it. And I think that more than anything is something that I found, like you said, that the internet has been incredibly helpful. What I think to all the people who have felt so alone in their stress of whether it's a fertility struggle, whether it's, you know, not feeling happy about their birth story or breastfeeding, or, you know, their hormones are out of whack and they feel very frustrated, or as I'm in perimenopause and starting to talk about that, hearing from so many people who are like, I wish that this had been talked about more. I had no idea. I love that the internet and people like yourself are, are out there starting to educate and starting to have these conversations that, previous generations did not have access to because it was either taboo or there wasn't access. So I really appreciate that. And I hope that that can start to erode some of those stressful walls that people feel, because I do think that, I hope that in community, those stressful experiences can be less so. I know that's, I'm a foster parent and I know I was super stressed and overwhelmed. And I wondered if I could continue until I found like a support group in a community of people that I could talk to. And then it felt so much more manageable. So I, I hear that the, the stress would be overwhelming and I'm hopeful that, you know, for people like you being out there and having these conversations that people can realize that they're, they're not alone and that, you know, they have a community who can support and help them. So yeah, the sharing of stories is absolutely essential for learning, understanding, supporting, but it's also, you know, by the fact that we've let miscarriage, infertility, menopause be silent, it allows it to be shameful and it's a cycle. And a long-term consequence I see as a scientist and a doctor is if you just allow society to assume that, you know, it's easy to conceive or that miscarriages are the pregnant person's fault, then it doesn't allow for curiosity and questions and funding of research. (laughs) So it's a part of a bigger cycle. I mean, in the immediate present, we need to share stories to, you know, support each other. And sometimes my patients will come back to me later and say, oh my gosh, my mom had four miscarriages and she never told me, but because I'm finally talking to her about what's going on with me, I'm learning from, from her just because generally she didn't, didn't talk about it. But I, I see it as a, as a bigger problem too, because how are we going to find the answers with reproductive health if we aren't funding the research and it's just, we have to talk about how common it is. Absolutely. And I think the other element of that in when we talk about stress and different components is this idea of how 
how stressed we, especially Americans, but humans in general are, and how much that plays into negatively affecting our health. And one of the things that was kind of eye-opening for me is I have been in diet culture my whole life. I mean, as a child, I went to fat camp and then I wrote, I, I found what ended up being for me a fad diet, right? And I but I wrote three best-selling books and I felt like it was a lifestyle and it wasn't. It turned out that it was more harmful for me when I looked at my um, my hormones, my health, my cortisol. I had thyroid problems. I had all these things that were going wrong with my health, but I was telling myself, but I'm, I weigh less and therefore I'm healthier. And so as I started to have to let go of my weight and focus on true health, things like eliminating coffee and like not drinking alcohol and sleeping more had so much more of an effect on my well-being. The true measures that I could see in my metabolic health and all of these kinds of things that I think I think it's interesting when I fathom what the entire world is focused on in terms of, you know, shame and diet culture and so much more that's ingrained in our society that ultimately is harming our health that mm -hmm. people are justifying as being good. And I wonder if you have a perspective to share with listeners on why Hormones, especially, because that was the thing for me when I saw that my cortisol was out of whack and I started to kind of process what that meant, that my body was constantly in fight or float, fight or flight. And I knew that I couldn't, I could never be well if my body was constantly in that kind of stress that I'm wondering what you see when you start to work with patients and you're looking at them, regardless of their gender or their age, you know, what are some of the factors that have the biggest impact on people's health in terms of improvements? Is it really what we've truly thought to believe or are there other factors that you see having an improvement on people's life? Like if someone would have told me, Stacey, all you need to do is quit coffee and alcohol and all these all these problems that you have are going to go away. I wouldn't <laughs> believe them, right? But that's, yeah. what I, that's what my body needed. Yeah, that's great. I thought of so many things when you were, where you're sharing that. And I, I appreciate your sharing that. I think of, you know, my patients are constantly asking me, how do I improve my reproductive health? Like, I want to have a baby. How do I make my eggs better? How do I make my sperm better? And they're willing to do anything. And they, the thing that they go to kind of the fastest are the things that are being sold to them as like, you know, cures, like supplements. Like I have patients that are taking 30 supplements, you know, before they come to me. And there's so many things wrong with that. Like we can't absorb all of that. You have to be so careful of where you're getting your supplements. It's not, you know, well-regulated at all. And it's highly likely sometimes what you're actually ingesting is not what's on the label. Like there's just so many things that are wrong with that. But actually I have a show with Lindsay Dahl coming listeners in two weeks. Lindsay is the chief, I think, information officer, I forget, impact officer for Ritual, which is a supplement company, but hearing her, I know you know Lindsay through Beauty Counter and science in general and all that kind of stuff, but hearing her talk more about the regulatory supplement industry was mind-blowing for me. So I'm so glad that you brought that up and we're going to go 
deep into that in two weeks, I promise. <laughs> that is great. I cannot wait to listen to that. I have so much respect for Lindsay and what she did for the beauty industry. I can't wait to see what she does for the supplement industry because she is honest and she'll, you know, share what's really going on. So that I'm, I'm really going to look forward to that. Um, so I talk about like, if there was a supplement that would absolutely make you more fertile, I would encourage you to take it. I, you know, I want that too, but really I want you to focus on your health. And I think about, you know, nutrition and I think about moving your body and I think about sleep. And I talk to people about being really careful because there's also a shame cycle that comes with that. Like, oh, if I just adhere to the perfect and air quotes diet as regimen, then maybe next month I will get pregnant. And then when they don't get pregnant, because nobody gets pregnant every month, then they're like, oh, I must have not been good enough. And then good in air quotes. So I'm going to be even more restrictive, you know, the next cycle and start excluding other things from my diet. And so I talk about, you know, you can't restrict so much that you lose joy. And there's a great Chinese proverb that says like perfection is 80%. And I just like want people to remember that like, yes, 80% of the time, try to eat, you know, mostly plants, lots of different colored fruits and vegetables, you know, protein, wonderful fiber, like all these things, but oh my gosh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream tastes great every once in a while, you know? So I think about that because I also like stress and depression and anxiety. I don't want people to restrict so much that their life loses joy. And then they just stop trying to be a parent because it's just too hard. Now, if you decide to be child-free or pursue in a different direction, like adoption or whatever. Great. Amazing. But I don't want you to stop because, you know, it's just too hard to continue on. And another thing that I talk to my patients about is, you know, it's always like stress. Okay. How do I eliminate stress? And I'm, and I try to explain, listen, we can't eliminate stress. Like we live in a stressful world. You know, there are some people that are fortunate enough to be able to like, okay, they're like, I'm just going to stop working. And then I'm sure I'll get pregnant. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, great that that's a life choice that you're able to do, but most people can't do that. You know, most people can't completely eliminate stress, but you can work on stress management. And I often use the example of two people being at a bus stop. They both step out into the road and they both almost get hit by a bus and they come back and they're okay. The person that has worked really hard on stress management techniques, whether it's breathing techniques, where it's visualization, journaling, you know, moving your body gently, whatever it is, they're going to be able to recover from that huge spike in cortisol and stress levels faster than the person who had the exact same experience and the exact same cortisol spike, but has not worked on techniques to help manage that stress. Another thing that I thought of when you were speaking is just how important it is to talk about weight and how limiting it can be for a doctor to tell a patient like, oh, you have to be under a certain BMI in order to get pregnant or over. Because there are people that are so, so thin, their BMI is so, so low that, you know, they stop having periods, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, in a lot of research, it talks about this ideal BMI, but that is so close-minded, you know, so many people can be healthy and can be fertile at different weights. And I think some of the most unhealthy people are on the cover of magazines and they look good, you know, in a bikini, but they can be incredibly unhealthy. And so I don't want my patients to drastically 
lose weight with restriction and focus on a number on a scale that their goal is. But if they can focus on their overall health and well-being, nutrition, moving your body, sleep, you know, that's the goal. And it's exactly what you were just describing. I think we are, are very like-minded. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting story that I try to remind people that as someone classified as morbidly obese on the BMI scale, which I've talked endlessly about the BMI being completely useless tool for health and how the term morbidly obese is referring to saying that I'm the walking dead, literally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, just, I just had to sit in that for a second. Yep. Yep. It's tough. I had three pregnancies that the first one was an accident. The second one and the third one were both conceived the first time, the first month that we tried. And all three of my pregnancies were perfectly healthy. I had mm. no issues, no gestational diabetes, no preeclampsia. And so I had a doctor who convinced me with my first pregnancy that I could not birth my child, that my child would get stuck in the birth canal, which later was, you know, I figured out was absolutely ridiculous and worked to get a better doctor that was more in alignment with what I was working for as a second and, and third child. But I think we're so vulnerable when we don't know these things and we go to doctors who we trust. And when they say something like you could harm your unborn child, if blah, 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 there is nothing but shame associated mm -hmm. with that. There's nothing but guilt. And I can imagine, I mean, I definitely experienced with that same doctor constantly being talked about my weight. I'm like, I am this weight and I'm pregnant at this point. I know it's not healthy if I lose a bunch of weight either when I'm pregnant. So can we just like let that go and focus on the health of the child and creating behavioral habits and things that are optimal at this point. And I wish that I would have known all of these things that I know now, instead of sitting in that room and just feeling so full of shame and guilt and disgust and not wanting to go to a doctor yes. because I knew I was going to feel those things, mm -hmm. right? Like all this kind of stuff. So, you know, thank you for bringing that up. And I hope that my experience is at least like a small sliver of hope for people that like, there is not one way to be ideal in terms of your fertility and whether you're in a larger body or a smaller body or an average body, like whatever it is that your body is going through is not your fault. And we have to like, let go of that guilt and shame. So I know I've heard you say similar things. <laughs> I, I know we're on the same page there. Y'all, if you could see me, I'm doing a little happy dance right now in my chair. I'm so excited that this podcast is sponsored by Cozy Earth. I am literally wearing their hoodie dress at this very moment. And I love that you get to experience the softest fabric ever with their 35% off code, whole view. It's the best discount. And I have been wearing their loungewear nonstop since it arrived. Yes, I did use my own code. I wore the joggers to an event last week on an airplane. They were perfect. It's like you get to be inside the best sheets ever all day, every day. It's amazing. And they're backed by their 10 year warranty on all their products. I recognize that their products are an investment, but with the whole view code, they are so worth it. And they're better for you, better for the planet. 
I actually discovered this brand while looking for sheets to help with night sweats, but oh my gosh, do I wish that I had discovered them sooner because they use a magical 100% viscose from bamboo fabric, which like I said, is sustainable and ethical while also regulating your body temperature and wicking away moisture to keep you comfortable. So whether you overheat from a partner who radiates heat like furnace, raising my hand, or you get hormonal night sweats, also raising my hand, um, or you just simply want the best night's sleep, it is possible with Cozy Earth. They have made Oprah's favorite things list four years in a row for good reason, and they're now on Stacy's Safer Sustainable Gift Guide because I am obsessed. Not just the bedding, also the clothing and loungewear. I love that they're size inclusive and crafted from the same responsibly sourced, breathable and luxurious material as the bedding. So if you want to take advantage, Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for you listeners today, 35% off site wide when you use code WHOLEVIEW. Go to cozyearth.com and use code WHOLEVIEW for 35% off site wide. This podcast is sponsored by Felix Gray, who makes effective research-backed blue light glasses that filter up to 15 times more of the most impactful blue light than other clear lenses. Y'all are constantly asking me where I get my stylish frames, and now you can get your own at felixgrayglasses.com slash wholeview. Yes, I wear glasses daily. No, I do not have a prescription, but I strongly believe that wearing blue light glasses has helped my eye health, preventing the need for any glasses at age 41. And if you're listening to this podcast, then you are exposed to blue light. We actually did a deep dive in episode 302, and there is a ton of science about how disruptive and harmful the light emitted from electronic devices are for our eyes and overall health. If you're spending time staring at your phone, tablet, computer, TV, and other devices, you may find yourself having some common symptoms like headaches, blurry vision, dry, tired eyes, and trouble sleeping. And exposure to blue light at night can lower the production of melatonin, the hormone that helps you regulate your sleep. Nine out of 10 customers experience relief from eye strain, headaches, and or blurry vision. I am definitely one of them. You can protect yourself and make an amazing fashion statement with lenses that deflect blue light. I love Felix Gray's Jemisons in Whiskey Tortoise and the Librarian-esque Hopper in Manhattan Fade. I've had both since 2019 and my newer ones Volta are in the clear panorama color, a super subtle effect that goes with everything, even if I'm wearing a bold eye makeup look. To get the best blue light glasses on the market, use my URL felixgrayglasses.com slash wholeview. You can get non-prescription or prescription lenses. Check them out now at felixgrayglasses.com slash wholeview. Free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash wholeview. So I'm wondering if we can move on to endocrine disruptors because um, when we talk about things that affect our bodies, endocrine disruptors is one of the ones that I refer to all the time that I love hearing your expertise on both from what some of them are and how they affect our bodies. So 
I have like a short list of things that on a surface level, I think we've all kind of heard terms of or referred to like BPA, phthalates, parabens, PFAS. I did a deep dive show into PFAS. And we see that these chemicals, which are in our environment everywhere, I mean, really from our receipts to our food packaging, to our cleaning products, to our skincare, to supplements, like all of these things everywhere are affecting things like the brains of our children. They're creating cancer, potentially infertility issues. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you've seen in the scientific literature and how it's affecting all of us. Mm -hmm. And I mean, ultimately what we can potentially do is where, you know, I always like to have something positive, but at the same time, like, as I said, with Lindsay, like at a certain point, you just have to know that you're doing the best that you can and you can't control everything. These things are out there. You're going to breathe the air. You're going to be exposed to some stuff. So you have to like live and let go a little bit. Yeah. Well, it is really overwhelming when you first start to learn about this. And I I did not learn about this in medical school. I did not learn about this in residency. I had one um, scientific presentation in the mid 2000s in my fellowship at Stanford, where one of the other fellows was presenting on bisphenol A, BPA, BPA impacting potentially egg quality, you know, it was a, and it, it was in a mouse study, you know, so it sort of seems, you know, a little bit distant from, you know, humans. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But I didn't even, I mean, this was a long time ago. Like I hadn't even like really you know, seen BPA listed on water bottles or anything at that point. And then um, I really went into a deep dive when I was doing research for my books on fertility and miscarriage, because when people say, what can I do to impact my reproductive health? You know, I talk about all these things, you know, that we've talked about, but then I say, also, you can look at the, you know, products that you're putting on your body and the food that you're ingesting and look through your kitchen to sort of decrease exposure to this. And when I first really started learning about it, I, I really went to a dark place. I was like, oh my gosh, because I hadn't learned about it. And you just sort of assume that the FDA and, you know, companies in the United States are going to be protecting us from this. But when you learn how much research goes on and how much regulation happens outside of the United States, like in the European Union and Canada and Australia and other countries, you realize, oh my goodness, like this is actually real. And it's not that the studies don't exist. They're actually incredible amounts of data, not just in animal models where you can sort of look really closely through generations very quickly, just because of the way animals just, it's easier to study, but you can look at, at human outcomes. And then a, a really close lens to this is reproduction, right? So it's hard to see somebody being exposed to like all the fast food I ate in the seventies and eighties as a kid, like, how is that going to impact my chances of getting cancer in the future? But you can see impact on eggs and sperm in your lab and embryos and miscarriage risk in IVF. So it's a really close lens into wow. this and what you can see. And so again, deep, dark place, but it's something that I feel we, you are absolutely right. We cannot eliminate exposure to it, but the human body does a great job if you do decrease your exposure. And it really is the people that have the highest levels of exposure that have the most increased risk of miscarriage or poor outcomes with IVF or poor sperm parameters. And so it does help if you take small changes in your everyday life, because if you get 
too deep into it, you can just kind of give up and just be like, all right, this is just too much. And, and, you know, just, just the process of trying to understand like these chemicals that are so harmful, like how can it still be produced? And it's just this whole philosophy and kind of business first in the United States and the assumption that, well, my product that I'm making in this little silo, yes, it has these cancer causing chemicals, but in my product, it's not that much of exposure. So someone's going to be safe using that. And you can sit in that as the person who's making the the product and be like, I know I'm, I'm okay, but what you don't realize is just how many products people are when everybody, to. Yeah. When everybody yeah. says that. Yeah. Yeah. So it really does become additive. And so, you know, I try to just educate and then answer questions and then talk about, okay, here are some solid things that you could kind of do today, you know, get plastic away from your food, like get it out of your kitchen. Don't store your food and heat your food up in the microwave in a plastic container, you know, use glass, get a glass or stainless steel water bottle, even though it says BPA free there, I tell my patients there's BPA through Z. Like it's, it, there are other BPAs that are going to be in that plastic. Honestly, BPA free has become like a marketing gimmick to make us feel better about buying plastic. So it's just, it's not the same. And thinking about the products that you're using on your skin. So people sometimes can understand and sort of associate, okay, if I ingest, if I eat food that has soaked up chemicals from plastic containers, I get how I could be exposed that way. But people don't realize your skin is like your largest organ and whatever you put on your skin, whether it's like that strong smelling laundry detergent that's on your clothes, or whether it's the beauty products that you're using, you start to add those up and it really becomes quite a lot of exposure. And so decreasing the number of products that you're using, I feel like that's a really positive message. And as people get pretty pushed, a lot of pushback, like, oh yeah, it would be nice if I could, you know, pay for and afford these really expensive clean and air quotes products. And clean has become a dirty word in the beauty industry because I think people just misuse it. But it's like, okay, but think about less products. And when you're ready to change your shampoo, why don't you find one that has lower levels of the toxins that you're looking and, and just try to make these little changes, you know, and in your everyday life. And it really will make a, a large impact in your health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that I try to highlight for people is things that you inhale or things that you ingest that are topical. So while we might think like, oh, the things that I'm eating, right? But if you are putting something on your lips, you're going to consume that. Or if you're spraying something, whether it's a room spray or a hairspray or a perfume, you're actually absorbing that at a higher rate than you are if you put something on your skin because of the way that your skin filters these kinds of chemicals, but your lungs do not, right? So yeah. I think one of the one of the things that I hear from like team members and clients that I work with is that doctors are starting to tell them stop fragrance at the very, like if you have a child who, you know, has allergies or if you, you know, have these health conditions, one of the first things they tell them is like, take, get rid of everything that you have with the word fragrance in it. And I think that's a great place that is not going to break the bank because at Target, you can find a ton of things that don't have fragrance in it. So, um, 
I think the other thing that I wanted to mention that you talked about on the science panel from this print disruption perspective is that this isn't like nuance. Like you said, there's a ton of science and you mentioned that there's a lot of national medical societies that have also mentioned this impact in the hopes that people can start to be educated and it can start to be incorporated in medical literature and in the teachings of the next generation. Um, so you had mentioned the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, which I think you're a part of, and the College of OBGYNs, as well as the American Pediatric Association. Am I missing any, or is there anything more you want to kind of add to that? Because I think it's it's so important, especially for everyone to understand. Like this is not this is not a niche kind of thing, mm-hmm. and if we want to make it more accessible to everyone, because we see in communities of minorities and other areas where people don't have the same access to cleaner or safer products or these kinds of things, that there is an a higher increase of miscarriage. There is a higher increase of health health outcomes. And so if we start to change things at an education level, as well as legislative level, that's where we can kind of have the biggest impact on everybody as a society, instead of expecting consumers or patients to be solving these problems themselves. Right. It really is tough because right now the burden is on the consumer that's having to choose products and it can be overwhelming and be confusing and, you know, trying to, to make choices. And then you can just sort of be like, all right, just forget it. It's just too much. And so I do think we have to act legislatively. I just think that that's extremely slow. And so I do think that educating and there is a power in consumer you know, buying in the United States, like that is probably the only way that a lot of these companies are really going to wake up is realize like, wow, there really is a market for products with, you know, less toxins in them. And, but I just hope that, (laughs) I hope that they make choices that are true and not just a marketing gimmick to. Yeah. Greenwashing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And do you, Do you think that with the statements by the medical societies that we can expect to see changes in the education from the generations that are kind of learning now? Do you think that they have more access to this kind of information to inform their patients? I do. I, and I hope that by the professional medical societies providing legitimacy and putting, you know, statements out there saying, you know, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, which is kind of the fertility doctors, and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, that's the board for OANS, really came together with a joint statement saying, you know, the evidence is there that these endocrine receptors impact the health of the pregnancy, impact fertility, and really came together with that joint statement. And it helps give some reassurance and legitimacy to the physicians and the nurse practitioners and the healthcare providers providing care for not only pregnant women, but, you know, anybody of reproductive age and, and beyond. Okay. This is, this is true. It's not just Dr. Google or some doctors get really intimidated by patients coming in with, you know, research studies or, you know, Dr. Google saying like, Hey, is this true? you know, and the doctor, you know, if you have been educated 10 or years previously, nobody talked about this. And so you might kind of say, well, you know, we're not really sure. I'm not really sure about the evidence. It's 
takes a lot to try to stay on top of all of the evidence and the medical research that's out there. But just these statements and kind of updates and kind of educating, it just provides the doctors to be able to say like, yeah, actually, this is something that we should talk about. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive. You've heard me talk about loving their probiotic for years. I recommend it to all of my skincare clients because your gut health impacts literally everything inside and out, including your well-being and your mood. And now Just Thrive has a brand new product that represents a new approach to uplifting your body and mind naturally with Just Calm which has been clinically proven in multiple studies to help reduce perceived stress, balance cortisol, improve sleep quality, and even encourage focus and flow. Just Calm contains B. Longum 1714, which in studies has been found to modulate resting neural activity that correlated with enhanced vitality and reduced mental fatigue. Yes, please. And it modulated neural responses during social stress, which may be involved in the activation of brain coping centers to counter-regulate negative emotions. I take mine with their spore-based probiotic, which has more human clinical research than any other probiotic out there and has a survival rate in your gut greater than 99.9% of probiotics on the market. Plus, it's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, histamine-free, and non-GMO. Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Calm make the perfect one-two punch backed by real scientifically proven results to help you be your best self. And right now you can get 15% off this dynamic duo when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW at checkout. Honestly and sincerely, this is the only probiotic I have ever seen make a difference in my skin and digestion. So if you want to try it now, get 15% off when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW. That includes bundles and subscriptions. Okay, super helpful. And I'm I'm ready to, to go into the doozy of the question. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So I wanna I wanna preface this by saying how much I respect and appreciate your fact and science-based voice in this space. And hopefully our listeners are getting a taste of that. So I feel safe bringing up this topic with you, hopefully for all of our listeners as well, being open to hearing your perspective on this. I'm wondering if you can talk about the recent SCOTUS ruling, reversing Roe versus Wade on a national level, and subsequently pushing these decisions to a state legislative level and how this impacts medical doctors and patients like yourself in terms of what, you know, societal perceived picture of what an abortion looks like versus what is actually more broadly defined and affected in the work that you do. Absolutely. Yes. June 24th was a really dark day. I mean, I have not practiced medicine in a non-Roe v. Wade society. And I had always known that there was a threat, a threat that it could be overturned, but I just never truly thought it was going to happen. And so when it did, I was just really taken aback because the assumption is that abortion is a you know, a birth control method for people that aren't being careful and it's elective and it's a flippant decision. And it is, it couldn't be anything further from the truth. 
abortion is absolutely medical care. And even the word has just been changed so much. I mean, we talk about a miscarriage, like a pregnancy that stops developing. That is a spontaneous abortion. Abortion just means a pregnancy has ended. It does not define how or why or intent. And so by politicians trying to end access to abortion, I think they're playing to a very small number of people, but with incredibly wide outcomes. And I think about it as impacting not just women's health or anybody that can get pregnant health, because what has happened is by some states defining personhood with a fertilized egg, it's drastically impacting first trimester care. So if someone, and it totally depends on where you live. And so the fact that healthcare and access to healthcare is dependent on where you live in the United States is just dramatically shocking. I'm so fortunate to live and work in the state of Washington where reproductive health are for right now protected. But talking to my colleagues in Texas and Tennessee and Louisiana and other states, there are things that are happening that people just aren't really aware of. So I think about patients that have been diagnosed with a miscarriage and want to get a medication to help their body recover from that miscarriage and move on in order to try to conceive. I mean, these are drastically desired pregnancies. Um, these are people that are trying to start their family, build their family, and part of recovering and moving on and being able to try is the resolution of that pregnancy. And like they're, they're already in a grief cycle. And, in, yep. Exactly. Yeah. And they're going to the pharmacy to get a medication that their doctor prescribed to help them move on. And the pharmacist is not filling the prescription and, and often accusing these people of using this medication for an elective termination of a viable pregnancy. And it's just adding to shame and grief and just in, incredible negative outcomes. I think about people who have pregnancies that have, are incompatible with life. I mean, we don't like to talk about birth defects, but a lot of times we don't find out about things until someone goes to their 18, 20 week anatomy scan. And you find that there's you know, no amniotic fluid. So the lungs can't develop. You find that there is a heart condition that cannot be fixed. And, um, and then women are being asked to carry this pregnancy to term and deliver. And people don't realize pregnancy is, is a, is not a non-medical issue. Like pregnancy is actually can be dangerous if affecting your, you know, blood pressure, uh, you know, how you deliver, forcing someone to, you know, have a C-section and just carry around the, the trauma, even delaying them being able to carry on, you know, with their family building. There's consequences, honestly, for IVF treatment and care. And I think about that. I'm working really hard with a group of reproductive endocrinologists around the country. We've formed a nonprofit called Doctors for Fertility, and we're launching, you know, officially this month, working 
to educate, increase awareness about how the overturn of Roe v. Wade is going to impact fertility care. So on so many levels. So if you define personhood at a fertilized egg and therefore an embryo, what's the downstream impact of that? Are we going to be able to do genetic testing on embryos? Because are you going to be able to say that the biopsying of embryos is actually harming that embryo because it's taking some cells away? Are, are we going to be, you know, so, you know, patients that know that they have, they carry a genetic disease, cystic fibrosis, Tay-Sachs disease, you're going to maybe require them to just get pregnant and sort of roll the dice and see if they have a child with incredibly, you know, impacted health. Are we going to be able to freeze embryos? You know, Italy went through this in the late 2000s when the government decided to dictate that you could not fertilize more than three eggs and you had to transfer any embryo that was created from that cycle. And in that case, they went back on this ruling for a number of reasons because it was increasing the number of egg retrievals that, that people had to do. It was increasing the number of multiples, you know, twins and triplets, because they were sometimes transferring three embryos. And it was, you know, help making people go through multiple treatments. So in a place where in the United States, fertility treatment is not covered for the vast majority of citizens, it's only going to increase costs and decrease success rates for treatment and, and increase risk and increase risk. Absolutely. And another downstream effect, I mean, I could go on and on, but I'm already worried about medical deserts for maternal health care because it's so difficult to practice in certain states and certain counties that their doctors are going to decide not to practice there because they're worried about being criminalized for the medical care that they know is right and for the health of the patient. And already medical schools in states with restrictive laws are seeing a decreased number of applicants because part of training to be an OBGYN is learning how to terminate a pregnancy in order to save someone's life. If someone has an infection, you have to terminate the pregnancy in order to save the mom's life. And if you are being trained to be an OBGYN in a state that doesn't allow for termination or you're seeing that there's already restrictions, I could see applicants not wanting to be trained in that state. And already medical schools are trying to figure out how are we going to get our you know, medical students, our residents, our fellows, the training that they need in order to be an OBGYN, which requires learning abortion. I, I really appreciate your honest sharing about the facts that our country is now facing. I'm, I'm tearing up thinking about all the women, all the pregnant people who have to make these difficult decisions or face these additional hardships unnecessarily. And I can't imagine being a health provider, having to give this news to someone it not being something that, you know, you choose or want to support, but need to give that news because of where you live. And I can totally see your point of people moving where they're going to practice or doing these kinds of things. So I appreciate your voice in this community and being willing to share these things, because I do think that it helps give an understanding of a perception of what 
you know, people believe is affected versus the reality of the very broad effects of, of what is happening to people. And we as a society need to decide, is that really what we intended? Is that really what we want? And how can we make change? So I'm going to wrap us up with what I always like to say in terms of making change, which is trying to leave our listeners on a positive note. And I'm wondering if you have action steps that our listeners can take to make a difference in their lives, whether it's, you know, I think you already gave some great ones in terms of like getting plastic out of the kitchen and those kinds of things, but what would be maybe a couple of things that you tell people, your patients or your online audience that have a significant impact to either make a change to themselves or potentially with the community, right? Like supporting some of these nonprofit organizations or anything like that? Absolutely. I think one thing that we didn't talk about, but I think is incredibly important is leading with kindness in all things. And that means kindness to yourself too. We can be so hard on ourselves trying to follow the perfect diet, the perfect exercise routine, even trying to get plastic completely out of the kitchen and then stressing about getting, you know, food delivery that, you know, comes lined in plastic, you know, get the takeout every once in a while, just, you know, have the ice cream every once in a while, just lead with kindness to yourself and, and really paying attention to your mental health and your emotional well-being. And then I think that will give you the energy to make healthier food choices and to move your body a little bit more. It's just got to start right there. And if you do want to learn and help protect reproductive rights in the United States, I think educating yourself is essential. And I encourage you to go to doctorsforfertility.org. That is the website for the organization that I helped co-found to do just that, to educate and support and actually take action to protect reproductive rights. And sharing your story is essential and voting is incredibly essential midterms. And just from here on out, it's not the time to be apathetic, whether it's your personal health or protecting your reproductive rights or everyone else's too. Thank you. Totally agree. Listeners will be sharing what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view, which is the best place to also ask questions. If you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show, but so is leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button in the podcast app you're using so that others can find us too. And if you'd like to keep in touch with Dr. Laura Shaheen, we will put a link in the show notes to her website so you can know how to spell her name and also all of your social handles are all D-R-L-O-R-A-S-H-A-H-I-N-E. And you can also go to her podcast, Baby or Bust Podcast, and your book, Not Broken, An Approachable Guide to Miscarriage and Recurrent Pregnancy Loss. I want to thank you listeners for being here for being open to change. We've put all those resources in the show notes for you. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal change. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can become better versions of ourselves. So thank you. Seeking 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.